Hi everyone, I'm Alex Holt, Curator of Public Engagement, here with Talia Smith, Curator of the 2020 Churchy Emerging Art Prize. Thanks so much Talia for being here today. Today we are unpacking some of the complexities of your role curating the prize and the exhibition itself for high school art teachers. So first off, I thought we could begin our conversation with you explaining the process of how you worked with artists to select work for exhibition this year. This year, the prize winner was selected based on the artist's entire practice, and you worked with individual artists to curate the show both around a theme and that represents each artist's practice in a succinct, powerful and thoughtful way. I wonder if you could speak to how that process of curating both around a theme and working with artist practice in development worked. Yeah, cool. Um, I guess I'll start with uh, the whole process of an, an artist development and what was really important for me um, with the changes that happened with uh, the churchy this year, changes as in that it was around a whole practice rather than the work that was um, in the show like previous years. I felt that it was really important to best represent the finalists' practices but also that they were happy with that as well. So most of the artists hadn't actually shown in Brisbane before. So this was going to be their first time ever showing in Brisbane. And so I, I said to each one of them individually that I think what is really important to you here is how would you like an audience that is not familiar with your work? Because if they had shown it in Sydney, you would get, or Melbourne or wherever they're from, you would get people that come with, um, I guess, a history of, of knowing your work, but they weren't going to get that in Brisbane. So I really wanted uh, them to think about how an audience that is maybe not necessarily familiar with their work or their practice could get an under a brief understanding in one artwork. And I, you know, I asked, I said to them, that's a lot um, of pressure to put on you on that one artwork. But the idea was that it was kind of a taster and that I wanted people to be excited, the visitors to be excited and want to look them up again. Like once they left, want to do their own research, follow them on socials or look at their websites to gain even more insights into their practices. Um, that was really, really important for me. So I guess that's where the conversations started was what they thought was going to best represent their practice and what they were happy with. And then from there, we worked together to think about how it would be presented because some of the works were represented, so to speak, like Georgia Morgan's was based off one of her old works, but it was made site specific for the show. So it was the reinterpretation of an old work. Then you had people that made new commissions. So we had to look at uh, how that was going to work in a space like Nabila Norden's was a new, entirely new piece. Emily Parsons Lord was also a new video work, um, which originally was going to be actually in person. So that was another thing about the development of um, the show was uh, you know, obviously COVID struck us down. So, um, I mean, not literally, we, none of us were sick, but we, um, we had to also think about that was that we were not going to have control necessarily over install. I mean, you do to a certain extent and the team at IMA and Llewellyn is amazing and it interpreted my floor plan perfectly. But I mean, this still could be little things that might not work because none of us were able to be physically there. And, uh, that was another part of the process was also picking the work, but then talking about whether that was actually 
viable for the situation that we were in, you know, like can someone interpret your extensive instructions to um, show your work at its best or is that too much to ask and we should go for something that's a bit simpler that you feel more comfortable knowing that someone's going to be able to easily install that without you being there. So there's quite a lot of strange little technical things or just, strange things you had to think about that you might not normally when you are curating a show, when you can actually be there, um, artists and curator. In terms of the theme, I also, when I spoke to each of the artists, I told them to not worry about the theme, that that was my job to bring their works together and create that sort of umbrella of um, how they fit under that. Everyone couldn't create a new work or they weren't working on new things at the time that they were selected. So uh, it was a bit much to expect that each artist would make something that could fit the theme if they didn't. I just told them to not worry about that. That's really interesting. I was going to ask about the theme. Mm. And my question was, the Churchy is a survey exhibition of finalist practice. Um, could you explain how you came to create a theme for the exhibition? What the theme for the exhibition is this year and how some of the practices included in the exhibition speak to this? Yeah, as I said before, you know, I, I told the artists not to worry about the idea of the theme and they all knew that I had been toying with this idea of failure when we were speaking about um, me putting together the show. I wanted them to all know my thought process so they knew where I was coming from when I was going to frame their works because I felt that that was important, that they were part of that conversation as well, just in case they felt uncomfortable with that theme or, you know, um, felt that it didn't relate to their work or, yeah, that kind of thing. I I think it's important when, um, well, at least for, a, a like you've said, a survey show of finalists' works that, it's, a, it's not something that you, it's not a concept that you've come up with beforehand and then you've got the artist and then you've looked at the artist's works to, you know, come into your theme. So it's kind of like a backward way of how you would generally curate. Um, that was quite, uh, it was a new thing for me. And I at first was a bit daunted uh, about thinking like, gosh, how can I bring these practices together? I was really like, oh, I don't know. And then I just started have, in my conversations with each artist, I started to sort of see that there was just this theme, this running theme of uh, failure, failure as a driving force for making work, whether that's a failure in societal terms or environmental terms, materials, cultural, you know, it was actually across the, the board in everybody's work. So it kind of like, I couldn't help but not follow that little thread that I saw. Um, so then once we got everybody together and the works were kind of decided, uh, yeah, it was my sort of next part, my next job, so to speak, to look at um, how I could explain that, I guess, how I could explain that failure is an important thread throughout everybody's work. And it started with, this year, obviously, being um, a bit of a failure year. So it weirdly fitted quite well, um, failure for, not that I knew that that was going to happen, but it first started with, yeah, 2020 just being a bit of a fail of a year. 
And then uh, I wanted to broaden it into, I guess, yeah, how these artists have used failure or interpret this idea of failure in their practices. And so we have people like um, Jess Bradford and Nathan Beard who their works um, look at the failures of performing culture or of authenticity of culture. So both of them um, are somewhat in the diaspora. I mean, Nathan was actually born in Australia um, and is Thai, uh, so is removed from those ancestral homelands. Um, Jess was born in Singapore, but now lives in um, Australia and she's been here must be over 10 years now. So they are in this idea of the diaspora, um, both of them in different ways. And they both sort of really, in their practices, explore what it means to be um, genuine in your culture, or what it means to be real or not real or fake. Or, um, you know, a lot of their cultures also get co-opted by predominant culture, which is white culture. Um, it often gets co-opted by white culture, white popular culture, and boiled down to very simple uh, signifiers or yeah things like that symbols and so that's where Nathan's work I think is is really really great where he takes the tie hand gesture which I can't remember what it's called but it looks like the prayer hands and where he takes that and then for him it's something that is well sorry for an audience it is something instantly recognizable but also it's multi-layered because for him it was something that he struggled with growing up as it was so much of a recognizable sign of his culture that people just expected him to perform it all the time. And he felt embarrassed by that. So yeah, that's what I really do really enjoy about his work that it's, it's more than what it is, you know, it's more than what you see and, and everybody's practice whoops, is like that. Um, and then I guess um, further onto that, we have, Yasbel, uh, Kirkow and Marina Pumani-Brown, um, who look at their families um, and their culture. I guess it's not necessarily, I think what I like to talk, why I bring their examples up, is I feel that everybody else is very directly a, a failure in terms of failure of medium, failure of uh, economy, failure of an environment, it's quite obvious, but I bring those two practices up and, and James Newen in particular, because they're all in a way, but not necessarily overtly, at least in the terms of Marina and Yasbel, um, critiquing the structures that failed them a lot. So for Marina and Yasbel, they, uh, I guess, create, elements of traditional, um, whether indigenous or Fijian um, cultural aspects or like woven mats or um, representing dot painting or things like that, which are very traditional elements of their culture and, you know, inserting themselves into art history, a history which people of colour have been left out of or left behind. So, yeah, I wanted to use them as an example to just kind of counter or be a counterpoint to the more overt failures. Um, I think it was just their works are a really nice sort of subtle way of, um, yeah, critiquing art history or history or 
just structures that have failed them and not included them in their stories. So yeah, I think that that's really, really beautiful about their works is asserting their dominance um, within their craft and within art. A really interesting way of thinking through using that curatorial strategy of a title and an exhibition theme to draw out different kinds of elements within really disparate practices to create a cohesive structure for an audience to view an exhibition through so that yeah. the audience has a unified theme to understand the whole show through even though all of these practices have been made in really different contexts by incredibly diverse artists and have have been brought together in another kind of frame um but you as the curator have brought those things together is a really useful strategy i think mm. i wonder if you could give any examples of practices that you pushed the furthest and practices that you mediated the least and why you worked with them in these ways as a curator? Mm. Oh, that's a good question. Um, yeah, I think that Georgia Morgan is a good example of that. Um, Georgia it was one of the only artists that could be um, in Brisbane as she was in the lucky state of Tasmania. But um, when Georgia and I first had initially spoken, um, she, I guess, was a bit at a bit of a crossroads with her practice in that way that she was trying out a few different things and was really unsure of what she wanted to show or how she wanted her work to be received or interpreted to an audience that had never seen her work before. And so she's shown me quite a lot of her work, but I just kept getting drawn back to that, to the one um, sort of shack type work that she had made in. Uh, Hobart, you know, a couple of years ago now, I guess, or a year ago. Um, and I just, I kept sort of like gently pushing her towards that idea because I think that there was a lot in that initial work that I saw that just needed to be explored even further. And, you know, at first she was, again, unsure about whether that was something that she was still interested in. And then I just got her to really talk about what was that work about? Why were you interested in that? And she began to tell me about her mother and her mother and uh, sharing memories of growing up in India. And um, that's not obviously where Georgia uh, grew up herself. And so she's not experienced necessarily those things that her mother has um experienced growing up there and so she's always had the information secondhand you know she's never had that first person experience so she seemed to be very very I think I felt like she was unaware of how much that was actually affecting her because she kept sort of talking about it um, and going away from it and then going back to oh you know my mom and I was thinking of like the shack and how she tells me about where she, what she grew up in. And, you know, sometimes I draw from her memories. Like I literally draw 
draw, like drawings, make drawings of things she's telling me on the phone and, but you know, they don't exist anymore and I will never experience them. But then she would get pulled away from that with, with something else. And I just felt that there was something there that she needed to explore. Um, you know, it's like a need, uh, I guess coming from like an artist perspective as well that I am, I, I have a similar thing and that I, I just couldn't turn away from the projects that I'm doing at the moment in my own work. I kept trying to, I didn't think that I was ready to do them or I was ready to explore them until I had someone encourage me or push me in that direction to be like, actually, you kind of can't not because your work just keeps revolving back to that. So I felt that was the same with Georgia. And that's when we really pushed to develop a site-specific piece that was going to be created in Brisbane where she could spend some time and do a kind of residency, which was another element, like little great element of development for her that was unexpected, was that she did do, you know, a four to five weeks sort of unofficial residency in Brisbane making the work. Um, I guess, that, yeah, that's a good example of an artist practice that they're on the precipice of something, but they don't necessarily know what. And I'm not saying I knew exactly what it was either, but I knew there was something there and that she needed to be encouraged in that direction to follow her, I don't want to say dreams, <laughs> to follow, because it sounds like I can't think of another word though, to follow her intuition. There we go. Her intuition, better than dreams. Um, I think she just needed to be encouraged like that. And sometimes artists or students or, you know, especially emerging, they just need that kind of uh, point in the right direction or encouragement to believe in themselves. And I know that sounds really corny, but I think that especially when you are at an emerging level, that is actually so important to have someone who is just supporting you and encouraging you to um, follow something that maybe you'll, you don't feel 100% confident about. And so I, I feel like she, I mean, the work looks beautiful and I feel like she had a great time doing it and she's proud of the work. I don't know. We haven't necessarily spoken about that, but that's where I feel that this could be pushed in another way. Don't. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, and then in terms of artists where I probably didn't necessarily, so um, I guess I would say... James would be an example of that, James Newen. Um, if we look at what the churchy represents, and we've said it's a, a survey of emerging art, and when I first went into um, the selection process with the other two people on the panel, uh, I my first question was, how should we define what emerging is? And... Um, the person who from the churchy forgotten his name, very great man. Can't believe I've forgotten his name. I'm sorry. Um, and Houston right. Roberts. Yes. There we go. <laughs> um, he had said that, you know, the churchy really wanted to represent what emerging can mean in all its like, diverse forms. And that I thought was really exciting about the prize because they're emerging as a, very strange term, just like any of the terms, merging the career established that generally funding bodies have made and we have to fit into. But um, I think what I loved about how he said that the churchy was to represent what emerging can mean in all its 
diverse forms and facets was that you have people that are straight out of art school, like someone like Lachlan McKee, and then you have someone who maybe like Tom Blake who has had quite um, a few shows and, you know, is developing and, and building his um, practice and reputation um, in the Australian art scene. And then you have the more established emerging or on that sort of higher end of emerging of people like James Newen um, and Emily Parsons Lord or, yeah, any of those kind of guys. And I do this whole big waffle because I think that with some of those artists, like especially James, they – I guess needed less development or at least less encouragement from me because they are more forward or more ahead in their practice in terms of thinking like that, where they have more confidence because they have been practicing for longer and they have developed and built a very, very strong practice that they um, are confident in, they believe in, and they know how to represent themselves in that way. So, James and I just talked about which work he wanted to show. Um, I thought it was amazing, the work that he wanted to show. I thought it was hilarious, very tongue-in-cheek, and I liked that he wanted to do something that was a little bit different to what he would normally show. So when I think about James's work personally, a lot of his stuff that I have seen has been either object-based or collaborations with his family and video practice. So then when I spoke to him, I just knew he would throw a spanner in the works and that he would say, I'm going to do something completely different. Um, and <laughs> that's when he said he wanted to show the paintings that he did. And at first I was really like, oh, well, my preconceived ideas. Oh, God, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And then as he spoke more about why he wanted that work and that it's something that he's been doing for a really long time, I just thought, you know what? Yeah, go for it. You know, like this is this is a chance to do that. And he didn't need the encouragement. He was already like, I'm doing that. It's exciting. So I said, yes, it is. I got on board, totally uh, understood his perspective. And yeah, I, I guess, I don't know if that really explains the two sides of the coin. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess what I think is really interesting to note as a thread to draw through all of these answers that you're giving is that it's really about your perspective as a curator and the way that you have worked with each of the artists on each of these facets of the exhibition have really come down to building really strong relationships and understandings with each of the artists. Mm. And so it's not just about how to represent their practice in terms of install. It's mm. how to represent their practice as you understand it from the many conversations that you've mm. had with them and use interpreting those, using those insights from those conversations as information that you then use to better share what their practices fundamentally are, even if in the case of earlier career artists, they may have not quite solidified that, that quite as much as other artists, that you're assisting to share that with the audience and you're yeah. that conduit there. Mm. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. And I think 
It definitely, I guess, well, at least the way that I work when I'm curating, you know, I will always start with the artists and the conversations that we have, the insights that I gain into their work. Um, and I think that when, you know, I, I guess the relationship, like you said, the conduit being a curator and, and, you know, an artist and an institution, there's three of us that are involved in this whole entire thing. Um, but um, I always say to the artist, uh, said to them that, yes, I am the intermediary, I guess, between the institution and you guys. And also, I didn't want them to worry anything about the layout, the way it would look, or that kind of install stuff, because we just I just wanted to get down, yes, the insights about their practices, how that can be interpreted, how we can try and um, pull out threads or stories within each of their works, whichever one they choose um, to put into the show. And then, like I said, with the theme, it came, then it's my job to make that all work harmoniously in terms of an install. But that's not on them, that, that's on me, I believe. So I kind of, um, I let them know where I wanted to, to put them in terms of the floor plan and all of that sort of stuff. But, and you know, listen to if they, requested certain things that I, I would listen but I at the end of the day you know had the final say on that stuff but I think when you're working with art, an artist the most important thing really is yes their practice and how they would like it to be perceived how they would like it to be interpreted what they're trying to say with it what they're not trying to say you know all of those things um, is the most important part that you need to draw out I think when you are working with an artist. I wonder off the back of that answer, um, whether you could speak a little bit to your role as a curator um, and the insights that your work as a practicing artist bring to that, and maybe a little bit about your career trajectory that involves multiple modes of practice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I guess like being an artist curator is um, has its benefits and its, I suppose, cons, but I like to think more benefits. But I, I think what, I, what you bring as an artist curator, or at least what I like to think I bring as an artist curator is, I guess you have an underst a certain understanding from an artist's perspective of... Um, yeah, how things, how, how you want to interpret or understand or uh, not understand or not interpret from people's work, you know, like that's what I'm having to do all the time with my own work. So I feel like you just have, or I feel like I have more sensitivity to that, um, to those kinds of things. And, and I know that that sounds like something very intangible and, you know, it's like saying that you... I, know, I can't think of an example, but I, I think it's, it's just, it's, it sounds very like airy fairy, but I do think that that is um, something quite important that you understand the sensitivities of making a work, presenting a work, an audience viewing it, um, what that can mean for the artist personally, as well as, you know, emotionally, as well as their career. Like you kind of understand all of those strange little navigations that we have to make as artists. And I think that that's quite a benefit to bring to um, any project that I do. Uh, I guess, you know, in my own sort of trajectory, 
uh, as an artist, I had always been excited, and this is why the churchy is so exciting to me, by other people's practices that did things I didn't do or just, you know, said it in a better way than I was trying to do. And, and I love that about um, art and, and artists and being around artists. And so uh, that's why I kind of got into curating, to be honest, was that I wanted to show people's work. I was excited by artists and, and what they were making. And I got to see it firsthand because I was at art school and I was in the studios with them. So, you know, I, I would look at their works and just think, people should be seeing this. This is amazing. This is great. Like, yay, let's all get excited about art. And so that's when I started curating was um, at art school, um, basically. I wanted, um, yeah, to work with people and show their work and especially when it was people from diverse backgrounds like myself because we have to insert ourselves into an art history and so I wanted to be able to create those platforms for those voices as well um, and like I said before this is why I'm quite ex I was really excited about the churchy because it's such a wide range of different practices and you know it, it's exciting to be a part of a very small part of their practices or of this project so I think that that's where I have always been interested in curating well it's come as in coming from an artist and just being excited by mediums and ideas and practices and the way people think differently to you or the same as you but show it differently in their medium yeah and you've been throughout your career someone who's been really involved in the emerging arts community um, and working with that community to show your own works and to um, put together exhibitions and share with an audience the works of your peers. I wonder if you could speak a little bit to how that's been um, a really important part of your practice. Um, both in the development of your artistic and curatorial practice, but also in the development of your career, so to speak? Yeah, um, I guess, I, and as you said before, I have been involved in many emerging arts um, organisations or communities. I have run an ARI, um, you know, a few, a couple of years ago, I was the chair of Runway um, Journal, uh, an experimental writing platform like yes I have been in and out of different yeah ARIs and, and, and institutions and communities and things like that um I think it's emerging art is super exciting and it's not to to say that mid-career and established artists um, aren't either but I think that like when I was talking about Georgia before there's really something very exciting about this kind of, this very young person in terms of, I'm not meaning age, but I'm terms of meaning of their career, where they're not necessarily sure exactly where they're going, but they're onto something. And I think that's so exciting to be a part of that and to help them realize that, um, you know, whether it's, I'm not saying I realize it to a point that it's 100% fully formed, but being a part of that stage of, of that early development for them is just, it's super important and it's really exciting. And I think that um, 
that's what really drew me to, to being in and amongst emerging arts for, for so long and supporting it in different capacities that I, that I can because we've got a lot to say and I think that we needed a lot of platforms to say them and a lot of um, opportunities to develop that, you know, opportunities to develop, to develop those voices. Uh, at least now I'm coming, I'm speaking from in terms of Sydney experience where there's not really many artist run spaces anymore. Um, you know, they're few and far between. And so when, when you can get them or when you can work with someone who's able to um, help you or make you question what you're doing, I, you know, I think that's really special. Um, yeah. I wonder if you could talk me through major prize winner Emily Parsons Lord's work uh, mm -hmm. from its original idea to how it was finally presented, both conceptually and in terms of how it was originally envisaged to be a performance and how it's now exhibited in the gallery. Yeah, um, so Emily's work uh, was something that she uh, had wanted to do or had been developing for probably the second half of, of 2019, um, she was developing it as in speaking to um, professionals in, you know, destroying walls. <laughs> I can't remember what his actual job is, the guy that she worked with. But she spoke to a lot of professionals to, to consult them on um, this idea that she wanted where there would be a steel wall and then, um, I guess, like, air jets or, or little machine things would break down parts of the wall. So it would just like explode, but not explode as a whole, but just rather bits would come out from it. And the original idea was that um, it was also going to have colored um, dust or, or colored pigment in it when it would explode. Um, so not only would there be holes that you would see through the wall, you'd also then have like color pigment coming out as well. Um, so, and that was going to be a performance in a way um, that it would happen on the opening night uh, for the churchy. And yeah, as I said, this, is, this was something that she'd been developing for yeah, at least the last half of 2019. And so she thought this was an opportunity to um, present this work finally in, in a physical context, which unfortunately then didn't happen because of COVID. Um, we had to then rethink how it was going to be, whether um, you know, Talia had, had actually suggested, Talia Pierce had suggested a video of it that would be projected, you know, at, at the same kind of scale in the gallery space that the wall would have been. Um, and Emily and I spoke about that uh, at length, I guess, for, you know, a week or so because the work, idea of the work is that, you know, there's a lot of environmental failures and disasters that are happening and it's kind of creates this um what I don't know what you call it like you you know it's like rubbernecking when you go past and you see a police car pulled someone over and everyone slows down because they're all watching it it's like you can't help but watch the horror that is happening in the world such as in environmental disasters watching the bushfires or the floods and all these kinds of things that we've gone through recently um but we watch it in horror but don't necessarily understand our complicitness in what is happening so if you think of the bushfires um you know climate change is affected directly from 
our existence essentially and the things that we use the things we abuse um structures you know like gas and oil and all of these things contribute to climate change and that's all a part of our world a part of capitalist society it's all part of that and we are all complicit in these disasters that are happening um and so her work often likes to draw your attention in these kind of spectacle ways um like a, in a wall blowing up essentially it's a very big spectacle because you're you get trapped and you can't help but look at it and then you start sort of thinking why am i so attracted to this how am i a part of this am i a part of this should i be thinking about you know the plastic straws that i use every day should i be thinking about so she's she's making question she's making you as the viewer question the micro and macro ways that we are affecting the environment that it's not something that's necessarily happening to us we are enacting it yeah so i think when we did, talked about the projection in the video idea it was just very much emily had to be comfortable with whether that was still going to come across in a video because it was going to be that um, in-person work. So you, it was going to be a lot more visceral in that way because you were literally going to be in the space, you know, hearing it, watching it um, explode. And when we spoke about the video piece, you know, I did say that what I enjoyed about that was that people were actually going to be able to watch it again because when, you know, obviously when there is a performance piece, especially when it's just going to only happen once, um, only those people on that particular evening that were there get to see it. And, you know, I, I wasn't, both of us weren't particularly keen on having, if it was going to be physical, the remnants of the wall and then like a video that showed what happened on the opening night. Like it just doesn't have the same thing. It's like you would rather just have the wall there as it was, the remnants of it, than also showing the, the video the process, I suppose. So I think um, when she finally got kind of comfortable with that idea of, yes, that people will be able to keep experiencing and, and in a way the dread actually keeps building even after you watch it and the wall is fully exploded, the dread doesn't really go away, it just restarts. And you know that it's coming, you know that the wall is going <laughs> to, because you've seen it, so you know the wall is going to do that, but it's, it's like the spectacle that she's saying, you can't help but keep watching even though the dread just keeps building and you're just like, oh, God, like, I know what's going to happen, but I must stay again and then again and again. So I actually think that it strangely worked very well in her favour, um, that it was a video in, in the end that you got to keep seeing this process happening and the, yeah, the dread and your complicitness just keep building and building. And I think um, it's actually kind of unsettling. There's a, kind of an unsettlingness to that particular work and I, and I really really enjoy that about it um also at the end of the day she did decided not to do color as i'd mentioned before color pigments which she had tried originally um it just came across to for lack of a better word twee it didn't have the same like depth or gravity that just like the blank wall and the white plaster sort of coming out sort of had the, the color just gave it a whole other kind of rainbow type um <laughs> effect which yeah was was not um ideal but she built that wall um two times 
So she did one test before the one that she um, ended up shooting at First Draft Gallery here in Sydney, uh, where she constructed in her house. And um, I remember, yeah, um, when she had told me that she was doing it twice and I had said, gosh, that seems like a lot. Like, it's a, you have to build a whole wall. Like, you have to plaster a wall and everything. I don't know. Do you think it's you need to do that? And, and when I spoke to her after she had completed it, she actually said that um, it was really good that they did because it was, you just don't know what's going to happen. And so, like, having the cameras at certain angles or in certain spots or, like, all of this, it was like you could refine it, even though it was very painful, building a wall again <laughs> in another space it was worth like doing that. And I think it's resulted in a, you know, and yeah, an incredibly uh, powerful work that just, yeah, like I said, the dread, she loves that I say that, um, the, the dread about that is, I don't know, there's something yeah, about it that you just can't help but not look away. Yeah. Thank you so much, Talia you've given us some fantastic insights into the curatorial process and about individual artist practices. Um, you can find out more uh, on the teacher resource page of the Churchy Emerging Art Prize website.